So nice to see you today. Happy Fourth of July weekend. You know, especially in the political season, you hear a lot of bad news about the United States of America because that's how you get elected. What you do is you say how bad things are, and then I'm going to save the day. That's the idea of a politician, you know. They think you have to present it that way, so then you have the need to vote for them. Otherwise, why vote for them? So you say, America's really, really bad, and then you vote for me, and everything's going to get better. But today's the 4th of July weekend, and I want you guys to recognize America is really, really good. <laughs> it really is. Are we perfect? No. But so many of us have been on mission trips throughout the world. Do we want our country to get better? Yes, we want our country to get better. But I want you to know I'm very thankful to live here. No matter what bad news I've heard about this country, I would still rather be in this country than another country. Because I've been there. I've seen what's going on in other countries. And we are really blessed. So in a political season where the idea is to point out the bad so you vote for somebody, I want to use this weekend, as at least right now for, while, while I'm going to pray for our country, I want us to recognize the good. This is still the best country you could ever want to live in. In no way am I not, I'm not saying that we should be satisfied and just stop. No, we keep trying to make it better and better. But I'm very, very thankful to be in this country. I'm very thankful that on 4th of July, you know, we're celebrating the existence of this country. It's been great. You know, in a lot of ways, things are way better today than they were in the past you know, we sometimes look at the bad side, but there's a lot of uh, things that are way better today than the past. So let's take a moment and let's thank God for the country that we live in and let's pray for it to even get healthier. Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for this country, Lord. We know it's not perfect, but I think most everybody in this room would agree that we'd much rather be in this country than anywhere else. The freedom that we have here is so much broader and uh, there's so many benefits to being here that you don't find elsewhere. So, Lord, we are very thankful. But, Lord, we want our country to be healthier. We want our country to get better and better all the time. Lord, so we lift up our country to you. We ask for the politicians. Lord, you, knew, you know who's going to eventually become the president. You know what's, who's going to be in Congress and stuff. And, Lord, we just ask that you guide them to lead this country in the best direction possible. But, Lord, we can only trust you. We don't want to put our trust into man. We know that men are going to mess up. So, Lord, we're trusting you to make this a better and better country. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I'm happy to live in America. It's a great thing. My message is not about being happy to live in America. That was just my prayer. Our message is still on the book of Proverbs. We're studying through Proverbs, the wisdom that we can find from King Solomon and today we're going to talk about how to earn respect or the respect of others. We've been looking at the major themes. I hope that you're doing it, reading through the book of Proverbs. If you started when we began, you would have already read through, through it. So maybe you're reading through a second time. If you read one chapter a day, you're, you read it in a month. So I'm asking people to do that. But I try to pick out the themes that you see over and over in the book of Proverbs. I try to pick seven themes that it talks about a lot. And uh, this is one of the themes that you see over and over in that book. 
about getting respect or earning respect of others. One of the deepest desires that we have as people is to be respected. We want to be valued. We want a good reputation. In Proverbs 22, 1, it says, A good reputation is a better choice than riches. Esteem is more valuable than money. That's not the, what the world says. But this is saying your self-worth is more important than your net worth. A good reputation is more important than any amount of money that you can have. See, we have this idea that I'll be respected if I have money. But it's not true. There's a lot of people with money that you do not respect. You'll be respected if you have a good reputation. It's about your character. It's about what type of person you are. I saw this article. It said, remember when status was simple? Expensive maybe, but simple. You wore designer logos. Your shoes cost more than people's rent. You puttered around in Porsches and dined at uh, bistros and delicately nibbled on goat cheese and black pasta. You lived for immediate gratification. And your favorite saying was, the one with the most toys wins. Yes, in the good old days, status symbols were easily obtained. Sure, they had high price tags, but so what? I'm worth it. But no more. As we draw near the age of individuality, the entire concept of status has changed. The newest stat on status is this. No longer can you wear it, drive it, live in it, work for it, or eat it. If you do, you're a walking example of bad taste. They're saying things have changed. Now those things, people look down on you for what they used to look up to you because of these things. Yes, the truth hurts. Real status today means developing a distinct personal lifestyle, going against the established flow. And it sounds holier, it sounds better, it sounds more moral, but you notice it's still all about image. It's still all about image. The core issue hasn't changed. It's about, you know, I want to be an individual. I want to go against the flow. But it's all about what image you get out there in order for people to look up at you. Well, God cares less about your image. He cares more about your character. See, image is how you portray yourself to be. Character is who you really are. And images can change. Character can change too. Character takes a lifetime to develop. And God wants to know what kind of character do you have. If you want to have respect, it has everything to do with your character. Your character is who you are in the dark when nobody's looking. The character shows who I really am. It's those attitudes and motives and desires and drives that really lead you in the direction you're going. What's really behind it? Two people can both look good on the outside, but their reasoning behind what they're doing could be vastly different. And one person could have a lot of character. The other one could be deceiving you. So we know man looks on the outward appearance. God says he looks at the heart. He looks on the inward. God's more concerned about your inward but so is everybody else because the outward appearance, people will see through that with time. And with time, they see what's really on the inside. And are you a man? Are you a woman of character? It's the character that you have that produces respect. What kind of character produces this respect? Well, in Proverbs, King Solomon talked about four characteristics that are going to produce that respect in your life that are also going to build your self-esteem. Number one in your notes, it says, speak with integrity. This is the most important one. 
This is a major theme in Proverbs. Integrity is more important than image. It's the foundation of everything else. In Proverbs 17, 7, it says, Respected people do not tell lies. See, we admire the people that are honest. We respect people that are honest. Honest Abe. Abe Lincoln, that's what they call him. Honest Abe. They respected him. They believed he was honest, and that's one of the major reasons he won the election. Sometimes you don't win an election because they don't believe you're honest. You know, I don't know if the story is true, but, you know, when I was a kid, they would talk about George Washington never told a lie. He once chopped down his dad's cherry tree, and when his dad asked him about it, he said, I cannot tell a lie. It was me that did it. I don't know if that story is true, but we respect the idea that someone that is honest, that's going to tell you the truth, they're not deceiving you. Jesus says, I am the truth. We respect Jesus because we believe he is the truth. He's not just, he doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. It says in the scripture, on a couple of occasions, God's not like a man that he would lie. God's honest. God's not like a man that he's not going to tell you the truth. We respect that. On the opposite side of that, you have the devil who's called the father of lies. And obviously, you have no respect for someone that's lying all the time. It's speaking with integrity. Integrity involves more than honesty. It also involves being dependable. Are you someone that people can depend on? In Proverbs 25, 15, it says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Have you ever met somebody like that? They say, oh, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you that. <laughs> and they have no intention of ever doing that. We, we hear it in a lot of ways. Like, I'll get on it right away. You just say what the boss wants to hear, and then you go do what you want it to do. Or, I'll return it as soon as I'm done with it. Have you ever heard that one? Then you never see it again. I'll pay you back as soon as I get paid. <laughs> How many times have you heard that one? I won't go out with anybody but you. Have you ever heard that one? And then they're out with somebody else. How about this one? This one I'm guilty of. Yeah, honey, I'll be home around 5 o'clock. <laughs> I never make it home on time. <laughs> She's planning dinner according to that message. And I think I'm going to get home at 5, you know, but I end up getting an hour late. Um, I'll take you fishing someday, son, or wherever it is. I promise, empty promise to our kids. Or we're going to get, I'm going to get involved in church one of these days. Usually one of these days means none of these days. I'm guilty of this one. Okay, I know I shouldn't eat this. I'm going to start my diet tomorrow. <laughs> I can't tell you how many tomorrows I've, I've never started my diet that I believe in. But, you know, there's a lot of things that we do that we say we're going to do that don't happen. Napoleon said, promise everything, deliver nothing. Good politician, right? Promise everything, deliver nothing. Notice the results of integrity. In Proverbs 10, 9, it says, the man of integrity walks securely. Reliability produces stability. It gives you confidence. When you have integrity, you don't have to have a good memory because you can just remember the truth. It's easy to remember the truth. But if you lie and you lie, then you have to go back and you have to remember what you said. You know, uh, I was with this person and they were telling me this whole story of what had happened with something in their life. 
And later on, I heard the story again, and it came out differently. <laughs> I think maybe the first story wasn't the truth, and they couldn't remember all the details because they're just kind of embellishing here and embellishing here, and maybe uh, the story's not quite what that person's saying because it's hard to remember your lies. It's easy to remember the truth. So I want you to evaluate yourself in this one. If you're a person that speaks with integrity, beside your notes, give yourself a 10. If you're not, give yourself a 1. Rate yourself between 10 and 1, you know, between 1 and 10. 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest. Like, am I honest? Am I honest with my wife? Am I honest with my kids, my competitors, with God, my husband? Can I be counted on? And maybe you think that you're a 7. Maybe you think that you're a 6. Whatever you write down, whatever number you are, I want you to state that. I want you to make a decision to improve. I want you to make a decision to improve. I doubt if anybody's a 10. There might be, but I doubt if anybody's a 10. I think probably everybody can improve on this area of our life. And then you'll be respected by others. Number two, serve with intensity. Be eager to help. Be enthusiastic about doing good. Be interested in serving others. Look at Proverbs 14, 22. You will earn the trust and respect of others if you work, if you work for good. In this therapist era that we live in, it creates a me generation. It's all about me. It's all about me. You know, what's good for me? What's going to help me? One of the healthiest way, one of the ways to become a healthy person is to be other-centered. To be thinking, what can I do for the good of others? Instead of, what's in it for me, what can I give for others at work? Instead of thinking, what's in it for me, a paycheck or whatever, have that mindset, what can I give to make this company more successful? At church, a lot of people go to church for the what's in it for me. They do. A lot of people, that's the reason they go to church. What's in it for me? And they never think that, I'm go- that I also go to church so I can give back to God. Like, I want to use my time for God. I want to use my gifts and talents for God. I want to use the way, you know, everything I've learned in the past that's made me a better person. I want to use that to help others. So we're thinking beyond just helping myself. Now we're thinking about how can I make an impact in those around me and make the world a better place. Giving ourselves to others. See, our society, our philosophy of our society isn't that way. Our, our philosophy of society is to get. We're thinking outside the box. We're going in a different direction. When we're thinking, I'm here to give. I'm here to bless others. I'm here to impact other people's lives. Jesus said, if you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. To be great, you're here to really serve other people. That's why Jesus said he came. He said he came to serve other people. He calls us to be Christ-like. He served with intensity. I want to serve with intensity. It's the opposite of what the world thinks. We want to be served. You know, we dream of that day that we can make, up, we can make this and that and so much money that people will help us. They'll serve us in this way. They'll serve us like that. Because we really think money's going to give us respect. And God is saying, no, it's opposite. You're here to serve other people. If God blesses you financially, that gives you maybe more power to serve other people. Mother Teresa said it like this. It's not what we do that matters. It's how much love we put into it. And you can relate that to your job. It doesn't matter what you do for work. What really matters is how much love you put into it. And that's a choice. You can say, 
I hate my job. Some people hate their jobs. But it's a choice. You can choose to put love into it, or you can choose not to. I do believe this. If you have a job that you don't like, and you choose to put love in it, it's going to make your experience way better than if you choose not to. And you might be stuck in that job for three or four years. You don't know. Sometimes you're in a situation that there's no way that you can leave that job until you find something else, and it could take three or four years. You can be miserable for three or four years. Who would want to do that? Or you can pour your love into what you're doing. And I'm telling you, it's going to make life, it's going to make life better. There's some things you can't control, but you can control what you choose to do with it. And you can choose to pour your life into it, pour your love into it. In Proverbs 11:27, it says, if your goals are good, you will be respected. That's the secret of success. If your goals are good, you will be respected. Have good goals. Have something worth living for. Have something worth fighting for. Have something worth dying for. You know, if you have good goals, you'll be respected. I don't really see great people. I don't see great people. I really don't. You know what I see? I see ordinary people that are committed to a great cause. That's what makes them look great. But the reason why this is so important is that means you could be a great person too if you wanted to. Because sometimes here's what blinds us. We say, well, that person's great. Look at what they could do. I could never do that. So we disqualify ourselves. I'm telling you, they are ordinary people just like you and I. They're just committed to something extraordinary. Key word is commitment. They made a commitment to something extraordinary. And now we look at them like they're awesome. Like they're beyond us. I'm telling you, they're not. They're not beyond you. You have that ability to make a commitment to something that's extraordinary. That's what builds, builds greatness. There are a lot of people with higher IQs than some of the successful people that you know, but they've never committed themselves to a great cause. There are a lot of people with better natural talents, but they've never committed themselves to a great cause. It's that commitment. You commit yourself to something great, you, that's what makes you, that's what puts greatness in your life. That's what gets you respect. That's what builds your self-esteem. What's your dream? What is your dream? What are your goals? Do you have anything that you're living for that's great? Other than my dream is to make enough money to pay rent. You know, <laughs> for some of us, that's success. <laughs> if I can just get enough money to pay my rent, then I'm going to be okay. If I think your dream needs to be beyond that, uh, you know, I think you need to be involved in something that's bigger than yourself. There is nothing greater when you think about this than serving God because that's going to be packed for eternity. You could be a billionaire. But that's not going to impact for, the, for eternity, but serving God would. Through your love and care, if you brought one person to Christ, that would be all worth it. One person in heaven saying, I'm here because of the influence that you had in my life. It's because of you that I found Jesus. Obviously, Jesus saves him, but it's because of you. Evaluate yourself in this one. How would you rate on service? How many hours a week do you serve without getting anything in return other than, you know, like nothing uh, financial or anything like that in return? You're just serving because you love God and you love people. 
If you say, well, I never serve because I love God and love people, then give yourself a one. If you say, man, I'm always serving because I love God and love people, give yourself a 10. I doubt if anybody's a 10. But I want you to evaluate where do you really think you are, and then I want you to make a commitment to change. What can I do to take the next step? Maybe you're three, and you're going to make a commitment to, to change, and you're going to become a five. Maybe you're seven, you're going to become a nine. But let's take those steps in those uh, directions. Number three, share with generosity. People who are respected are generous. Psalms 112.9 says, He who gives generously to the needy and shows kindness will be powerful and respected. Circle those words, powerful, respected. Why? Because they share with generosity. Andrew Carnegie, when he died, they found a note in his desk that was written when he was in his 20s, and it said, the first half of my life, I'm going to make as much money as I can, and the second half of my life, I'm going to give it all away. That was his commitment. He gave away $450 million, you know, Carnegie Hall. You know, he's very famous because of buildings named after him that he gave to better society. That was his heart. $450 million, way, way back in the day. How much would that be today? I don't know. I didn't take time to figure it out. I know it would be over a billion dollars. That's pretty amazing, you know, what he did. Now, at the same time that he was doing this, that he was making these commitments, in the 1920s, 90 years ago, there's a group of uh, the world's most successful financiers. They met together at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. At the time, that was a great hotel. These seven tycoons uh, controlled more wealth than the United States Treasury. That's how, that's how much power and wealth these seven men had. And they were in newspaper articles as people you should follow. These are the examples they would uh, try to teach young men in those days. Because, uh, unfortunately, they didn't think women would do it. That's how it was back in those days. Teach young men to follow these guys' examples. That's how they were. And uh, these were seen as great people. As I go through the list of names, you won't recognize any of them. You, you'll only recognize one of them. Why? Because people aren't remembered for what they received. People are remembered for what they give. See, Rockefeller gave more money away than Carnegie. And people remember, almost every city in the Northeast has a building with his name on it, you know, because he gave so much back to society. But these people, you won't know about them. You won't, I'll say their names, and other than the first one, you probably would have never heard of them before because they didn't give anything back. So we forget about those guys. The first one, Charles Schwab, you've heard about him. He's commercial on TV. He was the president of the largest independent steel company. But you know what he was known for? His parties, his extramarital affairs, his high-stake gambling. Do you know that he died penniless? He lost his fortune. He was stingy with the money he had. He ended up losing his whole fortune. He was one of those seven. Arthur Cutton is the second one. He was the world's greatest stock speculator. I'm sure you probably haven't heard of him. The government went after him for tax evasion. Uh, they were pursuing him in court. He was so stressed out because of all the things that were going on, he died of a heart attack from the stress. And by the way, he was guilty. And he, he thought he was going to get by with it. When they found him, he got so stressed that he died of a heart attack. Richard Whitney, he was the president of the New York Stock Exchange. He was caught embezzling money 
he had to file for bankruptcy. The public were astonished because he was such a hero at that time that uh, the New York County District Attorney, Thomas E. Dewey, had him arrested. He pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to Sing Sing Prison. They were so shocked, 6,000 people turned up at Grand Central Station just to watch him being es escorted in handcuffs. You know, ends up going to prison. These great people that, they, that we, were, we were supposed to follow. Albert Fall, he was a member of President Harding's cabinet. He was in the cabinet of President Harding. He got caught accepting bribes in what's called the Teapot Dome scandal. And investigations found him guilty, and he was thrown in jail. He was, th he was the first uh, public official to be thrown in jail. Later on with Nixon, there were some thrown in, but he was the first one. Albert, Albert Fall. We don't even remember him. And he was the first guy in prison from uh, a president's cabinet. Jesse Livermore. He was called the, uh, the Great Bear on Wall Street. He ended up losing the great fortune. He made his fortune because of the crash, but he ended up losing it all. He commits suicide saying, with a note saying, I'm a failure. Then Leon Frazier, he was the president of Bank of International Settlements. He was one of those seven. He also committed suicide when he lost his fortune. Ivar Kruger, head of the world's greatest monopoly, he also committed suicide when he lost his fortune. These seven people that were so known for making money that controlled more money than the United States Treasury, they all ended up being nothing. And they were stingy the whole time. If you look at their lifestyle. Then you have people like Rockefeller and people like Carnegie that are just giving their money away. And everybody today knows who they are. You know, they're, they're, they're considered like, wow, people that have really made a positive impact in society. You're never honored for your success. You're honored for what you do with your success. There's a lot of people that are successful and they use their success in a bad way. And everybody forgets about them. 20 years down the road, nobody will know who they are. But you're honored for what you do with your success. Proverbs 11:25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You want to prosper? You want to be refreshed? You help other people. It sounds like a paradox. You know, it feels like if you're going to be successful, you hoard everything to yourself. And it's the complete opposite. You want to be successful? Well, bless other people and watch what happens. Because you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. So I want to give God my time, my money, my effort, my energy, my service. I think God's going to bless me back. And that's how I want to live. So about, evaluate yourself on this one. You know, what kind of giver am I with my time and with my money and with my effort and with my energy? I say there's three types of givers. There's the flint giver. How do you get anything out of flint? You have to hit it with a hammer. You know, you have to go ch -ch 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 to get anything out. Some people are like that. You can't get anything out of them with, without hitting them with a hammer. Some of us are like a sponge, you, the sponge giver. You can't get anything out of them without squeezing it. Nothing's going to come out until you squeeze it out, you know. But then there's the honeycomb giver, and you put the honeycomb out, and the sweetness just starts flowing out automatically. I want to be a honeycomb giver with my life, with my time, with my money, with everything. I just want the goodness just flowing out. So how are you in that one? Rate yourself between 1 and 10. If you say, man, I'm stingy. I hang on to every penny I have. Give yourself a 1. Say, man, you know, I use everything I have for God for good. Give yourself a 10. I doubt if anybody's a 10. But 
I think you can rate yourself there and find out where you are. You know, the word give describes the Christian life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Giving is what Christianity is about. What am I going to give? God's a giver. If I want to be like him, I want to be a giver with my time, with my money, with my life, you know, in every way. Giving to your family, giving to your friends, giving to those who are in need. Number four, succeed with humility. Proverbs 29, 23 says, arrogance will bring your downfall, but if you are humble, you will be respected. Circle humble. Stay humble or you'll stumble. How many of you agree that success can ruin people? And if you were given a lot of success, would, you, would it ruin you? Would it ruin you if God blessed you with all kinds of success? Maybe f- fame. Would fame ruin you? Or would money ruin you? Or would power ruin you? And you need to know what type of person you are. Because I think that God's not going to bless you with those type of things. Because God's not, I don't think God wants to ruin you. I think you have to have the type of character. Like, have I built my character to the point where if God blessed me with that type of stuff, it would be a good thing, not a bad thing? But some of us know. Like, you look at your heart, and you might say, if God blessed me with those things, maybe it would be a bad thing for me. Maybe I wouldn't respond and do the right thing. Maybe I get prideful and arrogant and think I'm better than I am. So you want to have humility. The Bible says, clothe yourself with humility. Have you remember people used to say, dress, with, uh, dress for success? Well, that tells you how. Clothe yourself with humility if you want to dress for success. That's the most successful life you can have. The Bible says before honor is humility, pride comes before destruction. So you have to be humble or you're going to stumble. We think to be respected means to pretend that I'm a certain way and get that image out. I've got to say, no, that's arrogance. It's being humble that brings you respect. How can you spot a humble person? Proverbs 27, 21 says, praise is the test of character. You can test humility by when you're complimented. How do you take a compliment? Let me share with you about a compliment. Here's how compliments are. It's like bubble gum. Enjoy it, just don't swallow it. Okay? Someone compliments you, enjoy it. Thank you. Just don't swallow it. Don't let it get to your head. You can chew on it a little bit, but then you spit it out. Because otherwise, you're going to go down the wrong direction. Remember, humility is, is it's not putting yourself down. Because sometimes that's what people think being humble means. It's like putting myself down, saying, no, I'm no good. No, no. Humility just simply means you recognize that you didn't get there on your own. For example, you worked hard, and you, and, and you can have pride in that. I worked hard to do this and do this and do this. But I 100% recognize God's the one that gave me these gifts. Like you're a good singer. There's a lot of good singers that never amount to anything. But you're a good singer, and you work hard, and you rise to the top because you're working hard, working hard, working hard. But you still recognize, I can take pride in myself. I really worked hard. But if someone says, how do you become a great singer? You actually recognize, well, God gave me this voice. That's what it means to be humble. It's you recognize, I couldn't have done it without God. God's the one that gave me this high IQ. Or God's the one that gave me this giftedness with my hands. Because God's the one that gave me hands. 
That's what humility is. It's also recognizing the other people that helped you along the way. There are a lot of people, anybody that's successful, there are a lot of people that helped them along the way, even people they don't know that paved the way for them. And being humble means that you recognize it. You recognize, hey, I'm really working hard and I'm really trying, but there's no way I would have that success if it wasn't for God and those around me that helped me. That's what a humble person is. But when you think it's you that did it, and you think it's all because of the hard work I did, no. That was just a little part of it. Because without what God gave you and without the help of others, you could have worked as hard as you wanted to, and you'd get nowhere. So you recognize the truth. You know, it's God. If it wasn't for God, it would have never happened. So evaluate yourself on humility. Do you feel like you're better than others? You know, give yourself a one. But you're humble, you're grateful for God and what he's done to other people for what they're doing in your life, and you're grateful to them, give yourself a 10 or mark yourself one to 10 where you think you are. Proverbs 10, seven says, good people will be remembered as a blessing, but the wicked will soon be forgotten. Do you want to be remembered as a blessing? Good people will be remembered as a blessing. What are your kids going to remember about you? Are they going to remember that you were never around that you were impatient, that you had a temper, that you were unreliable, that you were, you were inconsistent, that you cared more about sports than the family, that you watched television more than what you read the Bible, that you were always nagging all the time, that you were never content in life, that you were moody, that you never had fun? You know, what, what are your kids going to think about you? What, what are people going to remember about your life? Or are they going to remember how you bless them, or they can remember what a great influence you were and, how, and that they're actually thankful for the time that they had with you. And they're going to remember that, wow, he was an incredible leader, an incredible person. My wife enriched my life more than any other person. My mom impacted me. You know, are they going to be able to say things like that? What will you be remembered for? If you commit yourself to these type of qualities that Solomon said, you're going to be remembered in a great way because you're impacting people's lives. But it's a choice. It's not automatic. It's a choice. I choose to develop character. Character is never automatic. It's a choice. I'm choosing to make these things a part of my life. I'm choosing to be a certain way. I'm choosing to worry more about what God thinks about me than what everybody else thinks about me. Romans 8.29 tells us that God's purpose for your life is to make you more like Christ. God wants you to develop a Christ-like character. Jesus spoke with integrity. I want to do that. Jesus served with intensity. I want to do that. Jesus shared with generosity. I want to do that. Jesus succeeded with humility. I want to do that. God wants you to be like him. God wants you to have a great life. God wants your family and friends to, you know, be drawn to you because of your character. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He was never thinking, what's in it for me? He was other-centered. The problem with Christians is we want to serve God because that's noble. But we don't want to serve other people because <laughs> that's, that's humility, it's fun to serve God because people look at you and say, wow, look at what he did. But when you're serving other people, it's not fun a lot of times. 
That's when your hands really get dirty. But you can't really serve God without serving other people. How do you know if you have a servant's heart? Like, God, do I have a servant's heart? But let me ask you this. How do you act and how do you feel when people treat you like a servant? If you say, man, when people treat me like a servant, I don't like it. Then you probably don't have a servant's heart. You probably don't have a servant's heart. Because a servant's heart is willing to serve people even when they treat you like a servant. That's a radical change of thinking. I know in our culture, people don't think this way because I'm around kids all the time and I ask, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I hear it all the time. So far, not one of them has said, I want to be a servant. That's not what they say. Even though Jesus is a servant because our culture is telling them the opposite. But God is saying, that's the type of heart. It's a radical way of thinking. But when you're serving people, that's when you change lives. When you're serving people, when you're loving them, when you're caring for them, that's what changes lives. Serve your wife, serve your husband, serve your kids, serve your friends. You have so many friends, you won't be able to have room for them because that's what it does. It's, it's about love. Find that area in your life that you can serve. Find the area in the church. You know, the church is a great place to serve. You know, you can serve children. You can serve people coming in by greeting them, handing out bulletins, stuff like that. You can put material together for the church. I mean, uh, help with the women's ministry, with the men's ministry, with the youth group, with other things like uh, when we go and to the Long Beach Mission and we serve the homeless and, and uh, when we go to the L.A. Food Bank and we gather up, you know, we help them put the boxes of food together to give out to the people. I mean, there's so many avenues. And if you said, well, the way I like to serve in the church, we don't, we're not, our church isn't doing that yet. Then start it. Start it. All it takes is one person to start doing it. Then the church is doing it. You know why? Because the church is a people, right? One person in this church starts doing it, then our church is doing it. You don't have to have 80 people doing it. Just one person. That is the church. You know, I, you know, I hear people say things like, I was out there doing this, and when is our church going to get involved in this? And I said, I think you just said that we were. Because if you were out there doing that, that means our church was involved in it. Because church is a, it's us, it's the people, it's what we do. But we as a church, can, we can really serve a lot of people. Just find that way. And you'll find out. It's through serving that you start finding your significance, your meaning, your purpose in life. It's the complete opposite of what you would think. That serving is where I find it. Because when you're giving with generosity, you're succeeding with humility, you're serving with intensity, you're speaking with integrity, that impacts lives. The Bible says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. There's a way that seems right to people, but it's leading in the wrong direction. I don't want to follow culture. I want to follow Christ. We're either going to follow culture or Christ. I choose Christ, and that means serving with intensity, sharing with generosity, succeeding with humility. It means speaking with integrity. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. That's the type of lifestyle I want our church to be. I want us to take that wisdom from Solomon and help what really gives respect and be those people to the world. And the world will get better. Just with the people in this room, we can impact the world. We can. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we ask that you help us to speak with integrity at work, at home, in our relationships, at school. Lord, we ask that you help us to serve with intensity. Lord, that we'll be intense in our service for you. We ask that you'd help us to share with generosity our time, our money, our lives. Lord, we want to be humble. Teach us to be humble people. Lord, we thank you for what you do in our life. Lord, we dedicate our lives to you. Maybe there's somebody here today that you would say, I've never even made a commitment to Christ yet. It starts there. You can pray this along with me silently. Dear Lord, I give you my life. Lord, by faith I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay off the penalty for my sins. So from this point on, I'm yours. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.